Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is defined in the Bible in Psalm 119, verse 172, as all the commandments of Elohim, or God. So, what is going on in this crazy world right now? Uh, I'm going to, as I put the uh, note on each and every program, I will discuss some world events that I think is necessary to bring to our attention, world news, before I get into the Bible study today, which is an interesting Bible study, uh, Shemini Ezret, which is the eighth day of the assembly for those who are celebrating the Feast of Sukkot or uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, Happy Tabernacles for those who are on the Jewish calendar. This is the uh, sixth day and for those who are on the New Moon calendar, the Karaites and, and those who have followed the cal- their calendar, this is the fifth day. So anyway, let's get into um, some world news I want to discuss here and then we'll get into the program about the significance of the eighth day of the assembly. Shemini Etret. Um, watch.org um, I'm, if you are by your PCs, you can go with me here, um, www.watch.org. I see a headline here where it says, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu looks to guarantee new term and call for early elections. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, Jerusalem signs are growing that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu will call parliamentary elections as early as February, months ahead as around Purim, which is interesting too, months ahead of schedule in a bid to capitalize on a wave of popularity and a fragmented opposition to guarantee its hold on power for several more years. Several members of his coalition have signaled that elections are imminent. Netanyahu has presided over a relatively stable period. Re-election could give him a fresh mandate to continue his tough stance toward Iran's suspect nuclear program put the already deadlocked peace process with the Palestinians further into deep freeze and further complicate relations with the U.S. if President Barack Obama is re-elected. So the shenanigans continues with his so-called peace plan, which uh, is a separation of the land that uh, Yah or God has given the Jews in Israel. And then this... uh, Another article right underneath here says, Israel does not have a blank check to harm American interests, says former U.S. Defense Secretary. says, Robert Gates, who last year called Israel an ungrateful ally, warns that a strike on Iran could be catastrophic. I agree. Such an attack would make a nuclear-armed Iran inevitable, he said. They would just bury the program deeper and make it more covert. And it has a note here, this was spoken from 6,000 miles away. What about Israel's security? How can someone who saw intelligent reports day after day get it? U.S. Middle East policy has been one miscalculation after another for 40-plus years. And this is another example. I totally agree with him, one trillion percent on that. And so there's a scripture that that comes to mind here, uh, I think it's in Judges here, Yes, uh, Judges 
chapter 2, verse 1, I read in the King James Version. It says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant or agreement with you. Verse 2, And you shall make no league. And what are we doing today with the peace process? so-called peace process, but we know it's not for those who have a brain and can think properly, you should understand that this isn't a peace process. In verse 2 of Judges, chapter 2, and you shall make no league, and that word league in original Hebrew is bereath, and it means cutting, compact, confederacy, and that's what they're trying to do. This is a prophecy, so listen up. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land, you shall throw down their altars, and they should be throwing down anything that is in opposition to Yah. They had a chance to do that in 1967, after the 1967 war, and they didn't do it. I don't think it was time for them to do it. But anyway, verse 2 of Judges chapter 2, And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? They haven't done it back then. They didn't do it back then, rather. And as of my speaking, this scripture, they still haven't done it today, have they? Verse 3, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And boy, is that prophetic. Isn't the Palestinians and Islam a thorn, a thorn, until or in Jerusalem sides, right? Netanyahu and and all the um, the Israeli government have to deal with rockets from. I think it's almost on a daily basis now. I'm sure. I think it's definitely on a weekly basis from Hamas and and all this. Um, uh, militant Islam that they have to deal with. So, this is a prophecy, and I just hope that Netanyahu opens his Bible and, and reads this prophecy and judges and adheres to this and, and does what Yah commands him to do. As long as he continues to do this, things will carry on. But I love to read. Um, I think it's in Jeremiah here, this this prophecy from Jeremiah. It gives us some hope. If I can find it here, I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 8. But anyway, you know, things are, are really heating up, ladies and gentlemen, and we have to understand, we have to understand that God is not going to tolerate for long the continuance of just vomiting over his land, uh, trying to appease, uh, trying to be at peace with everybody. That doesn't work with God. And God is not going to continue to, to put up with, with all this. And there's going to be a war. This is talked about in Matthew chapter 24. There's going to be a war, eventually, that will be caused by the outright rebellion of Israel not wanting to do his will. And I just read you what his will is in Judges chapter 2. Here it is. It's in Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm just getting over a cold here, and I guess it can affect my ability here to remember scriptures. But anyway, I'm doing the best I can. Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil due to Shuvah, repent. He says, I will repent or change of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Now, it works the other way around, too. Unfortunately, and at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant. If I do evil, I mean, if it do evil in my sight, Jeremiah 18, verse 10, 
that obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good whereof I said I will benefit to them. This applies to any nation that knows better, knows that they ought to be obeying Yah or God, and they don't do it. Let me drink some water here. I'll be right back. Okay. So let's look at some some information here um, that is disturbing about what's going on in America. And for those who have listened to my program constantly, America is a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. That may come as a shock for those who are listening to me for the first time. But please don't be shocked. Understand it is truth. And go to your Davidi's website, www.beasinboyritam.org, to be enlightened and to understand some information that perhaps you've never heard before. But anyway, I have just went to Infowars.com, Infowars.com, and this article is by Michael Snyder, and I, I, I currently, actually, I, yeah, currently encourage and and I really motivate you to check this website out, um, Infowars.com, and also the Economic Collapse by Michael Snyder. Anyway, this article here says Americans may be getting poor, but at least we are getting fatter and sicker. So here we go again with the the fat thing, the Jezreel wax fat. Has a picture of a guy here with a yellow shirt and a big fat tummy that you can roll around in and, and jump up and down on. Anyway, it says, I know there really isn't any good news in that headline. Americans are steadily getting poor, fatter and sicker, and yet most people continue to operate under the delusion. And it is a delusion that things are somehow getting going to get better. Sadly, not only are we not better off than we were four years ago, the truth is that things have been getting worse for a very long time. Median household income in the United States has declined for four years in a row, and it has fallen by more than 4,000 overall since Barack Obama has been in the White House. Yet the media insists that we are in the midst of an economic recovery. That is a lie. A higher percentage of Americans are obese or severely obese than ever before, and baby boomers are much sicker than their parents were at the same age. Baby boomers were born around the year of 1946. Yet we are supposedly a health-conscious nation. Technology is advancing faster than we have ever seen before in human history, just like God prophesied through the, uh, Daniel in uh, Daniel 12, verse 4. Anyway, technology is advancing faster than we have ever seen before in human history. But the life expectancy of poor Americans has dropped significantly in recent years. So exactly what in the world is going on here? It seems like there is a health food store or vitamin store in almost every corner. And yet, as a whole, we are in much worse condition than our parents were. The following is from a recent news story by CBS News affiliate in Washington, D.C. And I quote, Obesity among baby boomers is more than double the rate of their parents at the same age. And boomers with the or more chronic conditions was 700% greater than the previous generation. But it isn't just the baby boomers that are obese. Sadly, obesity has become a raging epidemic in America. And all of the numbers show this. For example, a study by the RAND Corporation discovered that the percentage of Americans that are severely obese rose from 3.9% in the year 2000 to an incredible 6.6% in 2010. This is a huge increase in just a decade. And the numbers are even more sobering when you look at the percentage of Americans that are just obese rather than being severely obese. As I wrote about the other day, 36% of all Americans are considered to be obese, and it is being projected that by 2030, that number will rise to 42%. To put that in perspective, it is important to note that only 13% of all Americans were obese back in 1962. Let me underscore and repeat that, because it's very significant. 
to put that in perspective, it is important to note that only 13% of all Americans were obese back in 1962. Only 13%. Sally, not only are we getting fatter, many of us are also living shorter lives. In a previous article, in a previous article, I quoted a CBS News story that discussed recent research shows that the lifespans of poor Americans have been dropping rapidly in recent years. Overall life expectancy has dropped for white Americans who have less than a high school diploma to rates similar to those of the 1950s and 1960s, the new research finds. The study found non-Hispanic white men without a diploma lived on an average until 675 in 2008, three years less than they did in 1990. The drop in lifespan was even bigger for non-Hispanic white women with low education. They live five years shorter than 1990 rates, from 78 years old to just 73.5. Why are people not living as long? Well, our lifestyles certainly are not helping things. The average American watches 28 hours. 28 hours of abominable filth of television every single week. That is not conducive to a long and happy life. But, of course, a lot of other factors are at play as well. When you don't have a lot of money, you can't afford to eat healthy, and that's understandable. I understand that. And you can't afford to go see the doctor much. Unfortunately, average Americans have steadily seen their incomes drop, even as the cost of living has continued to go up. The following is from a recent article posted on Investors.com. Since 2009, the middle 20% of American households saw their average incomes drop 4%. In 2011 alone, they fell 1.7%. The poorest 20% have fared even worse under Obama census data or data show. Their incomes have dropped more than 7% since 2009. And we are now lower than they've been at any time since 1985 after adjusting for inflation. So anyway, th- this is this sad, folks. And, uh, you know, this is a real, this is a good article. This is a good article. And, well, this is significant here. Let me read this. It says, members of Congress and government workers are living the high life at your expense. And much of much of it is being done with borrowed money that we expect our children and grandchildren to repay. You would be absolutely shocked to learn what goes on in some of these federal agencies. For example, the following was revealed by a former Social Security Administration employee recently in the Baltimore Sun. It is not uncommon, and I quote, it is not uncommon to see employees taking lunches lasting up to two hours often a day, at the office is nothing more than seeing people sleep at their desks or watch movies on their computers. With a few exceptions, employees with goals and expectations of some sort are nowhere to be found inside the walls of SSA, the Social Security Administration. I once saw an older employee take 10 smoke breaks in one afternoon and do absolutely no work when he was at his desk. He told me he was just waiting it out until he could get more retirement money. How selfish of him. Several elderly individuals literally died right at their desk because they refused to retire. That's sad. A lack of professionalism was obvious in the way the employees dress and most apparently in their juvenile, non-professional language. Would you like to have a job where you can sleep at your desk, take two-hour lunches, and watch movies on your computer all day? If so, then working for the federal government might be for you. Of course, this doesn't happen at all federal agencies. At some agencies, the employees actually are very professional. However, there are other agencies that are even worse than the Social Security Administration. So, that's sad, folks. The sad truth is that what is going wrong or what is wrong with our society is not limited to the White House and Congress. They are simply a reflection, and I would say a major reflection, 
of who we have become. Our problems are very wide and very deep. So why do you think Americans are getting poorer, fatter, and sicker? So you know th- this this is significant, folks, and, and that's to, you know I, I really have to address this because it's a part of understanding that we are Israel, we are a part of Israel, because God talks about how fat we are too, and you know I'm going to get to that here in a minute, but it says right here uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, which was one of the Torah portions I think a couple of weeks ago, verse one, and if you if you read the the verses um, prior to Deuteronomy chapter 32, it talks about that this is a prophetic song for the end times, the times we're living in today. The fact that the first verse tells this message to go to the whole earth should indicate that. Verse 1, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. So this is for the heavens and for the earth. Verse 2, my doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. It's King James Version here, verse 4. He is a rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. They have corrupted themselves, their spot is not the spot of the children, they are of his children, rather. They are a perverse and crooked generation. He's talking about our generation. Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that have bought thee? Has he not made thee and established thee? And many people say, oh, I get tired of the same old stuff over and over again. Well, in terms of the Bible, this is what God tells you. Verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations as thy father. And he will show thee, the elders, and they will tell thee. So fathers should be Torah experts or learning to be one so that you can teach these things to your children. Verse 8, when the Most High divided the nations, uh, divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, mankind, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel, indicating the children of Israel will lead all the other nations. Verse 9, or should be anyway. Verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, that's the twelve tribes of Israel, is a lot of his inheritance. Verse 10, he found him in a desert land, and in a waste, howling wilderness, he led him about. He instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Verse 11, as an eagle stirred up her nest, fluttered over her young, he spread abroad her wings, taken them, bared them on her wings. Verse 12, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Verse 13, he made him ride on the high places of the earth that he had that he might eat the increase of the fields. He had the best. He has the best resources, even today. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. We've got a lot of oil reserves here in this country that we don't use because the greedy oil companies want to continue to make money off of Arab oil. Verse 14, butter of kind and milk of sheep with the fat of lambs and the rams of the breed of Bashan and goats but the fat of kidneys, of wheat, we have so much wheat in this country, and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. But here's the verse I want to get to, folks, in light of the article I read today. But Jezreel, which is another nickname for Israel, waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxing fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. And what is this cause, as the article was indicating? Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. Provoked they him to anger. So that is what obesity really causes, folks, as well. And as I have on my website here on the first page, we must repent of the sins of Sodom. And, you know, I'm a voice, and I think there's others out there that's doing what we need to do here to cry out um, in Isaiah 58, verse 1. It states, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression. And the house of Jacob, as I state here 
on the website, on the first page of the Merciful Servants of God website, which geographically for the sake, geographically rather, for the sake of understanding prophecy, go to Britam.org for more information. Includes Jacob today, geographically, the United States, Britain, Israel, France, Canada, Northwest Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. So, back to this prophecy in Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob. Their sins. Okay, and this is very important. So, this is something that each and every Torah teacher or minister should be doing. What are our sins? Well, our sins are the sins of Sodom, number one. Failure to adequately help and care for the poor. We have over 48 million or around 48 million people that are in food stamps, as I'm speaking in this country. We have pride. Three, we eat too much. Four, we have abundance of laziness, 28 hours of television. What is it, a week, I think, I stated? It's ridiculous. Five, sexual perversion. And you can read this, that the fact that the United States and the other tribes, the sub-Judah, the Jews, don't know that they are a part of Israel. Isaiah 1, verse 3, 10, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 to 50. And then, of course, the prophecy that commands uh, Torah teachers to cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob, their sins. And that's what I do. I try to do each and every week on this program. In the hope that you repent. That's why. And change. So anyway, that is it with um, any significant world news. I'm, I'm sure there's there's some more, but I need to get into the Bible study here. Um, this is going to be a summary of uh, what I'm going to talk about here. Yeah, 28 hours of television every week. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, what if you spent that time in Bible study and and figuring out how you can help people? That would be a better use of your time, folks. But anyway, for those who are listening to me that do spend 28 hours of television or even more a week. All right, so let's get into what this day is all about. Um, the day that I'm going to talk about in this Bible study, actually, the day. Shemini Atzeret for for Jewish folks or those who follow the Jewish calculated calendar. Uh, It will be on uh, Monday, and for those who follow the New Moon calendar, it will be on Tuesday. So let's take a look at the commandment to keep this day. Leviticus chapter 23, and for for those who want a detailed description of uh, Sukkot, uh, please listen to my program last week the Festival of Tabernacles. Anyway, we're going to talk about the eighth day, or Shemini Atzeret, and Leviticus chapter 23. Turn your, your, your scriptures to Leviticus chapter 23, starting at verse 33. And the Lord spake unto Moshe, or Moses, saying, verse 34, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this month, of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles, of Sukkot, for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day, there is a holy convocation or assembly. That's what that word means, mikrah in Hebrew. It called out as a public meeting, a rehearsal. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord on the eighth day. On the eighth day, and this word eight in Hebrew is shemini. It means eight. All right. Shall be a holy convocation unto you. You shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and it is a solemn assembly. It's a solemn assembly, a festive holiday. You shall do no servile work. So servile work means bondage work, laboring type of work, work for profit. Therein. Verse 37. These are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. 
to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a meat offering, a sacrifice, and drink offering is in everything upon this day. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, there's a lot of giving going on. And for, for those who are celebrating Sukkot with me and, and around the world, you should be giving to um, any Torah teachers uh, there that are attending with you that are giving Bible studies. You should be giving also to those who don't have as much as you. And you should be thinking of giving to others as well outside the assembly as you perhaps go along the way to stop at a store during the feast and you see someone out in the street with nothing and has a sign that says, hey, I need I need some food. You should give something to them. This is the time. You should give every day, but especially during these, these times because the Festival of Tabernacles of Sukkot pictures redemption for the nations. Salvation for the nations. Again, Yah is an equal opportunity, Elohim. And he wants salvation for all of mankind, not just Israel. So let's remember that. Verse 38, 37 of Leviticus chapter 23. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to, to make an all. I already read that. All right, verse 38. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your free will offerings which you give unto the Lord. Verse 39, also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Shabbat, and on the eighth day shall be a Shabbat. Verse 40, and you shall take you on the first day the, the balls of a goodly tree and branches of palm trees and the balls of thick trees and willows, the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. This is where they get the idea of waving the four kinds. Um, and I know in Nehemiah chapter 8 is talked about using these, these actual kinds to build your, your sukkah or booth to dwell under, as it commands you here. And in verse 41, you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So, so for those who are listening to me say, hey, that's just for the Jews. Uh, Israel. Well, let's turn to Zechariah. I think I talked about this on the program last week, but for those who are listening to me for the first time, you need to be aware that he requests, and there are some people that get it here. Uh, there, There is other churches that actually, I know in my local area, they have these seven days of praises uh, for, for those who are not keeping the Sabbath and holy days. They at least understand they need to start keeping Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, in Zechariah 14, verse 16, And it shall come to pass, and everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so the Feast of Sukkot. And it shall be, whoso will not come up out of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt, which is symbolic of the entire world, go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherein the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of Sukkot or tabernacles. Verse 19, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. Okay, so this feast, again, is a feast for the entire world, all the holy days, but especially Sukkot, as I'm going to explain, because this is symbolic of the millennium that is talked about in Revelation chapter 20. All right, and the Jews have a good tradition. I'm going to talk about this briefly, then I'm going to go, because I don't have too much time here, about 26 minutes. Quote some significant scriptures here. And I think I'm going to 
Yeah, eventually I'm going to put an article about this because this is very important for us to understand that this eighth day really is a is a going back to what the state of the world was and the universe was in Genesis chapter 1. That's what this day really represents, where there's no sin, no death, no pain, no sorrow. That's what this day represents. That's what we will be celebrating um, for those who are in the Jewish calendar on Monday, for those who are in the New Moon calendar on Tuesday, or for those who cater to both calendars, both days, Monday and Tuesday. But let me just briefly go over this. There are some very good traditions that Jews adhere to, and this is one of them. The four kinds. According to the Midrash, the four kinds represent the various types and personalities that comprise the community of Israel or believers. Unity we emphasize in Sukkot. So Sukkot should emphasize unity. And here are four species. Um, this is what Jews, uh, observant Jews, do throughout the world, or around the world, each and every year celebrating Sukkot. I'm talking about this. This is going to lead into the new heavens and the new earth, what I'm going to talk about here. Etrog, citron, a fruit from Israel. So that's one of the, the types that is used. Person with knowledge and good deeds. Um, Matthew 13, verse 23 talks about that. Lulav, the palm branch, knowledge and, and no good deeds. So you have, first of all, which is symbolized by the citron or etrog, person with knowledge and good deeds. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 23 is similar to that, a description of that. The lulav, the palm branch, is a person with knowledge and no good deeds. Matthew 13, verse 22. Hadas, myrtle branches, good deeds without true knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, and then Romans 13, verse 10, and then Arava, willow branches. No knowledge and no good deeds. I talked about this briefly, but it wasn't as organized as it should have been. I apologize, so... I'm a lot more organized now because uh, I have a lot more time to um, design these Bible studies in a more detailed and organized fashion. Anyway, Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, and James 2, verse 17. And I got this information from God's Appointed Times by Barney Cashton, page 94. And then, um, and so anyway, this is typically... A be- these are four different types of believers. You have a person with knowledge and good deeds. That's what we should all aspire to. That's the goal. And then you have a person with knowledge and no good deeds, and you have individuals with good deeds without true knowledge and no knowledge and good deeds. No knowledge and no good deeds. And, of course, we want to avoid that. So I just briefly talked about that, and that's what Jews focus on and should be focusing on. During the seven days. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. I have a bad cold. <coughs> Let me drink some water. All right. In the remaining 22 minutes here, let's talk about the new heavens and the new earth. Let's understand first, for those who are, have been taught the two-house theory, you may want to reconsider something here that we we God is concerned about three groups not just two and Jeremiah 36 verse 2 it says take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I have spake unto thee from the days of Josiah even unto this day and then, in Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 12, it says, And he shall set up an ensign, that word ensign is nace in Hebrew, a flag, a signal, a token, a banner, for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So he's concerned about everyone. So three houses. Anyway, God wants us to be perfect, folks. I know that people say, well, how can we be perfect? But that is the overall goal, folks. And that's what Shemini Aseret represents, perfection. 
perfection everywhere because God is perfect and he wants his children. And his children are those who obey him to be perfect. And he's going to have a world in the universe that's perfect and there will not be any corruption in that new heavens and new earth as I'm going to prove to you today. All right. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. You have heard that it has been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do you do that? Do I do that? It's tough, isn't it? But that's what he's requesting us to do. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For See, this is how we become the children of our Father, by loving our enemies and blessing them that curse you and to do good to them that hate you. <coughs> Excuse me. And pray for them which despitefully use you. That's how you become the children of your Father which is in heaven. I hope you understand that. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He blesses wicked people. It says that here. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 46, For if you love them which love you only, which I see sometimes, unfortunately, within families and even among the assemblies. You know, and we need to all learn how to love our enemies, and especially love believers equally. Verse 46, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans or tax collectors do the same. Verse 47, if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect or complete, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Again, this is what this day, Shemini Atteretz, represents. Not this day, but when we do celebrate it, which is on Monday or Tuesday. That's what the eighth day represents, folks. Perfection. Get it in your mind. Perfection. Everything is clean and white and bright and light. Everything is perfect. And... God requires us, if we want to be a part of his kingdom, which flesh and blood cannot inherit. But before I turn to that scripture, let me turn to this one, 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is what the gospel really is all about, folks. I try to explain it in a simple way. Of course, it involves the, the two tribes uniting or the three uh, houses. Uh, you have the two houses, they get together, and then the, the nations will, will be drawn um drawn to them, the 12 tribes of Israel being united again, and then they being a light to the world and, and drawing the Gentiles to them. But anyway, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 states this, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the King James, I'm reading this in, who has abolished death. That's one of the major reasons why he died on the cross, to abolish death. Death, and that's what this day represents again, the eighth day of the assembly, the destruction of death. And it's brought life and immortality to light through what? The gospel. The gospel is about bringing life and immortality to light. To light. One verse really describes the work of the Messiah. All the holy days in Leviticus chapter 23 is talked about in this one verse. It's an incredible verse. John 1 verse 29. John 1 verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. So it takes you to Passover all the way to the fall feast with Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot, and then we have the eighth day, 
which, as you're going to see, no sin will exist in the world. This is an incredible verse to explain what the work of the Messiah is all about in simplicity. Again, the next day, John see of Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This day again, the eighth day of the assembly, there will not be sin anymore. It will no longer exist. It will no longer exist. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Starting in verse 37. He answered, <coughs> excuse me. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Verse 38. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked. So you had the children of God, and you had the children of the devil. Verse 39. The enemy that sold them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, which we're fast approaching. And the reapers are the angels. Verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. And that furnace of fire involves wailing and gnashing of teeth. But what's going to happen to the righteous? Verse 43, then shall the righteous shine forth, as the Son in the kingdom of their Father who has ears. And please, if you have ears to hear or to understand, let him understand or hear. Okay? So you need to understand what I'm saying. Yom Kippur, please listen to my Bible study on Yom Kippur, represents the elimination of sin. As soon as the Messiah lands his feet on the Mount of Olives with the saints and with the angels, that is described in Zechariah chapter 14, the process of eliminating sin begins. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Starting in verse twenty one. For since by man comes death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. Verse twenty two, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Verse 24, then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Again. Let me repeat that for those who are confused, that don't understand what the scripture is saying. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed, that word destroyed in the Greek, is to abolish, to cease, to do away with, to vanish away. Is death. Is death. That is the reason why the Messiah came. One of the major reasons is to destroy death. Death was not a part of the program, folks. I hope you understand that. All right, so let's get back. I want to read a significant scripture here about what happens in reference to mankind. What is our potential? Verse 41 of Corinthians chapter 15. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star different from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickling spirit. Howbeit, 
that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as is the earthy, such as, as they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, indicating the, the kingdom of God is a spiritual realm. Again, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, and that's written in Hosea, Death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the Torah, or the law. So it's the destruction of death, ladies and gentlemen. That's what God will destroy. The purpose of the Messiah was to destroy the works of the devil. And he will destroy the works of the devil, folks. Um, and... As I'm speaking, that process has begun, but it will be ultimately fulfilled um, as this day pictures Shemini Atzeret, the day I'm talking about. All right, and I wanted to quote a few other scriptures um, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse uh, 14. It states here, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Okay? So he's going to destroy the devil. All right? And that's that's another reason why the Messiah came. So through the death on the cross, he would destroy the works of the devil. So let's understand that. Let's understand that. And let me turn to another scripture here. First John 3, verse 8. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. So if you commit sin and you do it casually, you don't care, you are of the devil. For, the, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason why, one of the major reasons why, he was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil will no longer exist in the new heavens and the new earth, folks. First John 3, verse 9. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So when you are born, literally born of God, changed into a spirit being, you will not be able to sin. Verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves, loves not his brother. Okay. So let's understand that, folks. Let's understand that. I have six minutes left. Let me go over a few scriptures here to summarize this. If you want more detail, email me. I will give you more information to prove that the new heavens and the new earth will be totally perfect. So anyway, let's let's read this. These are beautiful scriptures here. And let's think of perfection. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with him and be their God. So this is the ultimate fulfillment of, of Sukkot. 
Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 4, And God shall tabernacle with us, the Father. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. No more death, folks. Neither sorrow, no crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. New. It means new, fresh. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done, complete, finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Notice the word freely. Verse 7, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, the entire universe, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And I prove to you that that son will be perfect if you're going to be his son at this point. Verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and all whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And back here in Revelation chapter 20, let's understand something. Revelation 20, verse 14. And death and hell, which is the Greek word, the Greek word is hadas, and it means Hades place of departed spirits that were wicked, which is another Bible study that I think I did, yeah, I did give. Look in the archives under the resurrection of the dead, which is one of the basic doctrines of Elohim or God. I go into detail about what happens to you after you die. But anyway, what this scripture is indicating is that death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the second death. Verse 15, and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So death and the realm of the dead will no longer exist anymore. The wicked spirit realm will no longer exist. All right, and Sheol, the realm of the dead, <coughs> of spirits that don't have spiritual bodies, will perish. That will no longer exist. So that's a significant scripture to understand. All right. So that's it, folks. That's the simplest way I can explain this to you. Um, read, study for yourself Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. If you have any questions, feel free to call me. But what you must understand is that God will eliminate death. And I have a few minutes here. I can quote this scripture. Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25. Beginning in verse 7. States this. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of covering cast all over, over all people. And the veil that is spread among all nations, he will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall take away from all the earth, the entire earth. For the Lord has spoken it. And this is God's words here. So he's going to take away suffering, crying, death from off all the earth. For the Lord has spoken it. Okay? So let's understand that. And may the great Elohim bless and keep you. And Elohim or Yah or God willing, I'll be available for you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. 
And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 